welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. Welcome to another Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Jane Winter, uh, the most recent addition to the Dietitian Connection team. And I'm really excited to be able to bring you this podcast today when I get the chance to sit down and have a chat with Dr. Catherine Itziopoulos. Catherine's internationally recognised as an expert on the Mediterranean diet and has now published three books on the topic, with the most recent being the Heart Health Guide. Catherine is an accredited practicing dietitian who's had a really interesting career path. She completed her PhD back in 2007, I think, and yes. has worked as a clinician, academic and researcher. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that Catherine's Greek heritage both informs and really brings to life um, her research interests. So welcome, Catherine, to the podcast today. Thank you, Jane. I'm very pleased to be here. So at this point, I'd really like to read out your extensive bio, but since you didn't provide me with one, you're just going to have to talk us through it over the course <laughs> of the podcast, if that's okay. I, I Sure, I will, Jane, and, um, and uh, thank you for the introduction. You've covered um, a lot of the main, main um, uh, career highlights. Uh, very interested to talk to you some more about uh, what's been happening over the last... Um, 34 years. Yeah. <laughs> so you and I have known each other for many years, um, yes. but there's so many aspects of your career that I'd really like to explore. So can we just start at the beginning and can you just talk about how and why you came to be a dietitian? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess um, going to university was uh, was um, a, um, a, a must really in, in my family. I grew up in, uh, in the northern suburbs of Melbourne uh, in a, um, a Greek family, Greek migrant parents, and my father was, um, you know, he, he was so focused on academia and he uh, said to both my sister and I, uh, you know, you, you, you've got to go to university, that's your ticket to, to life. So I was always focused on um, on going to uni and, uh, and in the early days uh, I was interested in medicine. Uh, as a child, my, my, my parents said, oh, you know, you, you, you loved... Uh, you, Playing in the garden and with insects, and uh, you're like a microbiologist, you know the Greeks microbial logos. So, um, but 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 as it turned out, I applied for medicine. I I wasn't successful, so I did science. And in the science degree, I was really fascinated by genetics and physiology. And then it was a colleague who, uh, you know, we we both know, we've, and I've known for many many years. We trained together was Antigone Kouris Blazos, who. Uh, who said, uh, why don't we go and do dietetics? And I thought, well, I'm interested in, in food. Uh, so we, we then uh, went across to Deakin down at uh, Warm Ponds at the time and, uh, and studied dietetics and I did an honours degree as well, which uh, had a, um, a nutrition question, which then uh, links back to the Mediterranean diet research as, 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 it, um, as it happens. Um, so, so I did uh, dietetics and... Um, and then my first job was in a in a clinical role, uh, a major hospital, Alfred Hospital. So, uh, so I loved that scene, you know, and I still do. Uh, how many years later? Yeah. So when you so if we step back, so in those days, yeah. sorry to call it in those days, but no, uh, it was those <laughs> days. Yes, yes, three, a, three plus decades. Yeah. It was a grad <laughs> graduate certificate of dietetics. Graduate diploma. So yeah, I did a bachelor of science at Melbourne Uni. And where uh, did the honours fit in? And then I did honours. Right. Uh, so I met Professor Mark Volquist oh, wow. uh, and Professor David Briggs. They were my two supervisors. And uh, interestingly, because it does relate to the work I'm doing now in research, I investigated um, uh, tomato, the, the mutagenicity of tomato paste moulds. Um, and, uh, and it was hmm. a nutrition microbiology um, honours. And, uh, and, and the hypothesis was that when you... Um, you know when you scoop tomato paste and you put it back in the fridge and after a few weeks it grows mould? Yeah. <laughs> yep. What do we normally do? We just scoop the mould off and we use the tomato What's paste. What's under it? Yeah, but you shouldn't because mould spores go all the way to the bottom of the jar and they release mycotoxins. So 
Um, so what the Mediterraneans do, and Greeks do, and I grew up in this uh, in, in this culture, so I, I, I did observe it, uh, was just put olive oil on the top of the of of the paste, and oh. olive oil prevented the mold. Now you know, growing up, I never knew what the purpose oh. was. In my th- um, honors thesis, that's that's exactly what I investigated. That olive oil put on top of um, a jar of anything, really, but this was tomato paste, yeah. um, prevents mold, uh, and you oh. continue to use it. So. That's amazing. So that was many years before I started my PhD. So when you when were in dietetics, I, I'm guessing that research wasn't really a significant part of the course back in those days. No, I, I guess coming coming from honours, I, I did have that um, research um, um, start, or and it was very important for what happened later. So having done honours. Um, really facilitated me then going on to do a PhD. Uh, but but in dietetics, what I me- remember vividly was learning how to cook <laughs> and, uh, you know, learning how to make the best bechamel sauce, which, you know, is not, you know, nothing to do with Mediterranean, but, uh, but I just, I learned some great cooking techniques because I didn't do a food science undergrad. I did, I did a more of a bioscience. So, so in that grad dip, um, that they were the most vivid memories I had was learning uh, these uh, amazing uh, cooking skills. Yes, um, I think we were taught to segment an orange, you know, so you didn't have all the pink right. there. <laughs> Very handy. Yes. Um, and yes. make, make croissants. <laughs> oh, make croissants. See, I mean, you know, the things that you just don't forget. Yeah, I haven't made <laughs> them since. No, no. Uh, so, um, so, sorry, then your first yeah, job so, was Alfred? A clinical role, yeah, and I and I loved that, and I went very quickly. I started off in diabetes. I, I didn't really enjoy diabetes, and then um, heart disease. I was in the um, heart bypass um, area. I was fascinated by ICU, so I worked um, uh, in ICU for a couple of years uh, with Iboya Nylassi, who mm-hmm. the Alfred, um, you know, there uh, for, for many years as 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 a leader of the nutrition program. Um, and at the time, she was very focused on research, so I worked with her, and um, and I loved ICU. I really loved the numbers. For me, it was about science, the formulae, and uh, and I do again vivid memories going on those ward rounds with the intensivists who used to put us on the spot, you know, uh, come up with this formula. What do, what does this patient need? And uh, and I was shaking in my boots <laughs> trying to. But we used to carry around ready reckoners. Yes. You remember that? Yes. Those books in the, in the lab coats in the pocket. They might sound very foreign to That you'd put together yourself. That you put together yourself. That's right. And, uh, and you could quickly go to, to the right page, find the formula and work out, you know, how much glucose was in the formula or how much the glucose the patient was receiving, what the uh, normal ranges were for the different biochemistry values so you had all of that at your fingertips. Now, this is a time where we didn't have mobile phones. So, um, so, so you had to rely on, on these notebooks that you, you, you pulled together yourself. Um, and, and I just loved the science of, of ICU and then um, moved into, you know, um, uh, did some research, uh, did a, a Master of Public Health. That was um, uh, something that really uh, changed the course of things for me. So why did you, because that's not exactly intensive care. No, <laughs> no. So, in, yeah, intensive care, it was, again, on, on a, on a um, recommendation of a, a colleague, Ian Woodruff, who said, oh, we, Monash is next door, let's, let's do a Master of Public Health. Now, the, the, um, the, the real pluses in terms of the, the research and the science is I met um, Professor, the late Professor John Powells, who, who, um, who coordinated uh, um, public health nutrition he was the first professor, I think, to, to run public health nutrition at the time. And I and I learned about the Greeks in Lefkada because he was very, very well known for that work that he did in in uh, in, in Greece. Um, and, and he described the Lefkadans as being, you know, uh, these people that were villagers and they used to drink wine and eat gallons of olive oil all day and they'd and they'd live to, you know, ripe old ages. So um fascinating work. Uh, but the public health degree then uh, really um, uh, facilitated me moving into academia. So soon after that, um, my next role was um, was going to Deakin uh, as as a lecturer, uh, and I started in Warm Ponds and then moved uh, moved to Turak and then and then Burwood. Um, I think that's 
might be about the time we met. Uh, it was because I went to your confirmation of candidature, uh, which oh. is a very different setting back then to confirmations these days. So yes. there are about yes. six of us sitting around a table listening to you just present what you were doing. Um, yes, but right. So how long were you at the Alfred for? Uh, I was at the Alfred for about six, seven years. Right, okay. And as part of um, that role, I was seconded um, uh, because I'd moved into deputy head of department within those seven years. Um, I was very ambitious and I still use that term about about myself and my career um and i and i've used the term unashamedly because <laughs> i i like you know it's it's not a negative term it's a good no to be ambitious um uh and 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 to want to to uh, keep moving um moving forward um so so i was seconded um as a head of um head of dietetics in a maternity backfill to the royal adelaide to ra uh while i was oh, at I the didn't know that. Yeah, well, I was at the Alfred. Now, uh, the reason I went to, to Adelaide and jumped at the chance was uh, my husband was setting up his, um, his fundraising business in Adelaide, so he was based there, and, uh, and we got a bit sick of the Firefly bus trips back, mm-hmm. back then. We couldn't afford flights, so, um, uh, so I thought, look, great opportunity, and it was. I, um, I, you know, I had the opportunity to be in a leadership role uh, for a short period of time, and um, and just uh, uh, met some wonderful people, um, and really started some strategic planning work um, in those early days. Uh, so so left left a, a map of of some ideas uh, when I went back to the Alfred. Um, I, I, I then stayed in clinical for for another year um, uh, and and went to the Austin. So it, it, you know I did I did move around a bit, but yeah, okay, it was fantastic. So at the Austin, twelve months at the Austin. Um, as a research dietitian for the liver tra- liver transplant unit, we did some work on branch chain amino acids back then. Um, so, uh, so that was my first tranche of clinical, and uh, and then after public health degree finished, which took four years part time, uh, I I then soon after uh, got a role at Deakin and stayed there for about seven years. And did you enrol for a PhD after you'd started at Deakin? Yes, yeah, within the f- first year of, of starting at Deakin. Um, I was uh, pregnant to my first uh, child, Tiana, and, um, and you know, I, I, I was probably in my sixth month. And, um, and interestingly, I, I met, um, I, I was working with another professor on a more ICU-related PhD, but, but then I went to a seminar that was held by Professor Karen O'Day, who was very well known for her Indigenous mm. health research and got an Order of Australia for, for that work. Uh, but she was also very involved uh, and very interested in the um, the Cretan diet. So she presented um, a seminar uh, for the Olive Oil Institute, and uh, and I was just fascinated. Uh, she she presented on the fact that the you know, Greek migrants um, had uh, you know they had longevity. They followed a traditional Mediterranean diet, and um, and Greeks uh, in Greece, uh, particularly in the rural areas, um, had longevity because of, of the Greek diet. So. Uh, and there was, you know, cardiovascular and diabetes. So it was all about um, protection from these diseases. Um, and I went up and spoke to um, Karen and she said, yeah, great. Let, uh, I'd love to have you on board uh, as a PhD student. Um, we applied for a, a, a small a small um, teaching relief grant. She supported me and that's what kicked me off. And it was a very small grant, $5,000, um, but it was enough to buy me out of some teaching so I can, um, in a team, write um, a PHRDC, which was an, uh, a public health version of an NH and MRC grant, right. um, and and we got that. Uh, so amazing as a new um, PhD enrollee to be working with uh, such experienced people and 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 to yeah. to be on a grant. So uh, at six months pregnant, new job. Um, you decide that this is a good time to start a PhD. Yeah. I'll just write yes. a grant to yes. and get that grant. I mean, that's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a your PhD was a long journey, wasn't it? Because it was interrupted again with parental leave. It was, yeah. So three years later, I, I had another um, a little girl, uh, Vivian, and um, and my my PhD. Now I remained working full time, um, but my PhD um, uh, really slowed down. Um, and that was really at the write-up stage. So, um, so in the first three years at Deakin, uh, 
we ran the studies. So one was a large cross-sectional, the other one was the first intervention study uh, in, in patients with diabetes. And, uh, and that really, I guess, cemented my, the path of my research uh, going, going forward. But um, I had a lot of fun, worked in the kitchens uh, at Deakin, and, um, and I had uh, um, employed my mother because she had a little part-time job with us as a research assistant um, and, uh, and another colleague who was, who was an RA on the, on the grant, her mother, so Anna and Theonor, my mum, um, uh, were the cooks and they, uh, and they prepared everything. Because you were providing food for these intervention yeah. studies. Yeah, so the, the, this, uh, the type 2 diabetes study was... Um, uh, almost all of the meals were provided. Uh, only some of the fresh uh, foods were were sourced by the participants. And what was the duration of their the intervention? Like, how many meals did they have to provide? Three months, so wow. twelve weeks. Um, and participants would come to pick up their meals every two weeks, and they'd bring their eskies because uh, all of the meals uh, and everything from fasulada to uh, egg and lemon soup to pastizio to stuffed peppers. Um, and you know, even some some um, meat casserole dishes, uh, fish dishes, uh, wild greens. So we collected wild greens and cooked them, dressed them with olive oil, lemon juice, and uh, and then froze them. So all the meals were cooked fresh, frozen at minus eighty, picked up by participants, and um, and that went for three months. So it was a very intensive and expensive to provide all of the meals for participants. So yeah. we had a lot of fun. And um, and you know having to to uh, watch my mother who you know would would um, uh, you know put the salt in the soup and and I'd say mum this is a study and she goes but it's not tasty I have to, <laughs> I have to you know don't worry about this we've got to measure everything and she's go oh <laughs> I said yes we have to measure everything um, yeah. Yeah, and and so I remember. I always remember uh, Lynn Daniels. One of her pieces of advice was, uh, if you're going to do a PhD, do something that you can write a book on, which is exactly what you've managed to do. So, how did the books come about? I mean, was that sometime after your completion? That first, it was. It was years later. Um, So I I completed 2007. So my journey was. It was a long journey, eight years. Um, You know, two children in in the middle of that. And um, and almost gave up in the middle of that because um, it uh, working full time. I then had moved to another university, RMIT. I was travelling overseas for for teaching, and um, and I, it all became too hard. Uh, but I you know picked my socks up, worked with a colleague. We uh, we were just determined and, and and got it done. And then and then I had lots and lots of presentations, and you know was was fortunate. It wasn't just conferences, but um, speaking at grand rounds in hospitals, and the doctors would say, "Well, we don't all have a Greek mum to, to <laughs> for our for our patients. Where's your book?" And, and so I, one day I'll do a book when I've got time. One day I'll I'll, I'll write a book. One day, and uh, and it wasn't until about 2011. So you know that's four or five uh, years after I submitted my PhD um, that uh, that I um, I was approached by. Um, by a publisher uh, from Pan Macmillan and um, uh, Ingrid Olsen. And she, uh, and she said, look, I've heard so much about your work. I really want you, you know, to work with you to write this book. And I said, oh, I don't know if I, if I can. I promised to write this book. And, and she um, really supported me. It took two years uh, to get that first book out. Uh, and, uh, and it did reflect all of the recipes in the type 2 diabetes study from my PhD. So the beginning, it talks about my journey, uh, but the recipes are all traditional Greek recipes, modified for salt. <laughs> because I, and, uh, and you, know, uh, the, you know, exclusively extra virgin olive oil um, in all the dishes, et cetera. But, um, but that book, uh, you know, at that stage when I launched the book 2013, the first one, The Mediterranean Diet, uh, I'd published some papers, lots of conferences, um, but it wasn't until I launched the book that, you know, people like my family stood up and took notice and my daughter, <laughs> wow, mum's an author. <laughs> Finally <laughs> some street cred. Finally, Finally I've got cred. some credibility. <laughs> and, um, and I was on the Today Show cooking um, uh, one of the dishes and, uh, you know, uh, Carl and Lisa 
uh, were tasting my my um, baked eggs uh, um, in in sauce, and uh, and then I had friends and family. Oh my god! <laughs> Uh, so um, it was an amazing uh, experience to be an author of a cook. <laughs> I actually remember early days, it was at Deakin, so you must have still just been doing your PhD and you must have been on talkback radio and I remember you catching a taxi back from the studio to the university and you said, yes. I made the stupidest mistake, I gave out my mobile number if people had questions <laughs> and you said, by the time I'd got back to the office, like a message bank or whatever it was in those days was just full with people just calling and texting and sending messages and asking questions. And I'll never give out my number again like that. No, exactly right. And I, oh, it's, it's, you remembered that. Um, it was uh, over 200 and, yeah. and then I oh, couldn't, couldn't respond. No. <laughs> but um, amazing response, yeah. So you don't know. Now you give a website. It's easy. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> a bit removed from it. So yeah. during the, the your book publishing, but you've had a lot of other jobs because you've not only been in Adelaide for a secondment, uh, you're in Canberra, you're in Perth, back in Melbourne. Yes. So can you give us a potted history of the rest of your academic uh, career? So, so I guess if I was to divide it, I would say a third, a third of my career has been in, in, in dietetics, clinical work, private practice and some consulting, and then two-thirds uh, in, in academia. So, you know, beginning from teaching in dietetics, uh, you know, senior lecturer roles, uh, research, you know, um, active, uh, particularly when, when I did my PhD, and then I moved into academic leadership. So, um, so most of my academic leadership, the first um, biggest role, let's say, was in Canberra, University of Canberra, where I took on the head of um, what was called a school at that time of nutrition, food and nutrition and dietetics, um, and, uh, and, and I was there um, only a bit over a year, um, and, uh, and, and that, was, that was amazing. I worked with uh, wonderful people, and, uh, but, but I had to um, come back. It was really hard for me to be away uh, from family, particularly um, husband and, and my girls. They were teenagers, so young teenagers at the time, and um, and they needed their mum. So, you know, I was flying back. I was FIFO coming back on weekends, um, so I missed all of the week and all the dramas that happened at high school. Um, so by the time I got home on the weekend, doors were shut, you know, mum. <laughs> um, so uh, they missed out. I missed out. Mm. Uh, and fortuitously, I got a you know a, a, a call about a role at, at La Trobe, which was setting up dietetics at La Trobe. So, um, so I came back, and it was sad to leave Canberra because it was a fantastic, supportive environment. Uh, I worked with a wonderful dean there, um, but you know coming home was was a no brainer, and uh, the role at La Trobe was fantastic. So at, at La Trobe, head of discipline, moved on to head of department, um, head of school. I was Associate Dean International at some stage. So I really grew up in terms of an academic leader at La Trobe um, and, and continued uh, research. I, I, at this stage now, probably um, graduated close to 20 PhD students um, and the bulk of those were from La Trobe. All right. Uh, and so how long so, you, what was that duration? Oh, nine years. Nine oh, okay. years. Okay, so that's yeah. quite some time. It was a long stint. Yeah, longest stint, yeah. Hmm. Um, and after after La, La Trobe, I mean that was a head of school, um, a very large school at, at La Trobe. I was then um, uh, alerted, um, tapped on the shoulder, very nice, to apply for the role at Murdoch, uh, Provost Chancellor of College of Science, Health, Engineering, Education, massive role in Perth. So that was a um, that was a big jump. It was for me going uh, across over west. Of course, uh, was was a big move. But uh, I had my family. You now, the girls at this stage were, um, you know, early adults, you know, 21, uh, 23. Um, so they were so pleased for me and my husband, you know, go for it. We'll do the photo on the weekends. Um, and, uh, and it was an amazing opportunity to take on a, a very senior leadership role. So I, I went for it, even though it was so far away, 4,000 mm -hmm. kilometres away from home. Um, and in the first year, I did uh, I did the FIFO, um, uh, and I was um, I was up for it. Uh, many people said, "Oh, you've got rocks in your head. How are you going to do these flights? Four hours? 
well, you do. Mm. And, and uh, you know, lots of time for reading, lots of time for catching up with work. Um, but I loved the job. You know, it was, um, I, I, again, met some wonderful people. Um, being uh, oversighting an animal hospital, you know, stretched myself. And this is uh, something that I have done throughout my career, uh, stretched beyond uh, areas, uh, my comfort areas. So, so, so just to track back to, to, to Latrobe, I was from dietetics, went across to other allied health and then human services sport. That was the breadth um, at, at Murdoch, engineering, math stats, vet medicine, you know, very broad. So how do you, because I think a lot of people face this in their careers, that they might have an opportunity to do something that's a bit scary or a lot scary yeah. uh, and a lot of us go, oh, I just don't think so, like I don't think I can do it, I don't know. What is it in you or what do you tell yourself that you think I can actually do this, I can give it a go? Like is it not being afraid of failing or is it just you love the opportunity? What is it that inspires you and keeps you pushing? Well, I'm driven, driven by the opportunity, and uh, and I do a lot of positive self-talk, a lot, um, because, of course, I, like everybody, doubt myself many times. Can I do it? Um, you know, the, am I an imposter? Is this real? Yes. Is it happening? Um, but but uh, you you gain strength from what you've done before as well. I've done it before. You, 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 I take myself back. Well, how did I feel then? That was scary. I had to, you know, present the senior executive, the most scary thing. And, you know, Vice Chancellor was tough on me and I survived. Um, and, um, and, and I guess ultimately you, um, you know, you, most people uh, are kind. They're, you know, most, it's unfortunate if you meet people uh, in, in um, senior roles that are, that are unkind and more dictatorial. And, you know, in these day, this day and age, um, there is a very strong focus on culture and development and developing people and engaging. And so, um, so don't feel that everyone's out to get you. Mm. Uh, you. You know, for me, it's about, no, people want me to succeed. And, uh, and, and, and I have built through the years a resilience and a, and a, and a, a strong sense of self-worth. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's important. And you have to keep, whenever you go into that space of, You've got to bring yourself back to say, yes, I can. And you have to give it a go. Now, um, failures, yeah. I mean, I, I nearly, I, uh, you know, going back in history, I failed a major oral exam in dietetics. And I thought, you know, chicken licking, the world is all yeah. over. For me. <laughs> not going to be a dietitian. <laughs> I'm not going to be a dietitian. That was 1986. I failed an oral. That was devastating, devastating. I went underground for two days. Um, I survived, and yeah. uh, you know, and I, and I, uh, I'm so pleased with my career. I'm really happy to be. And I think that is such a lesson for young dietitians and dietetic students, possibly if they're listening. You know, we've both worked with dietetic students, and they'll come to you after an exam that they did terribly in, and yeah. I'm never going to get a job. You know, no one is going to ask you your result mm. in that one exam. You know, it's up to you to demonstrate professionalism and all those other traits that we sort of see in people or look for employees or colleagues. That's right. That's right. Because we need, um, you know, you need adaptability, you need resilience, you need these soft skills, uh, which um, at uni we try and build in our graduates, of course, um, is what employers are looking for. Mm. You can't predict what's going to happen. When you're in the workforce, um, you, you know there are there aren't the metrics, and they you know this is, if I do this assignment, I'm going to get this mark, um, and there will be successes and failures, and you know this sounds like you know, it's it's an added adage, and everyone says it, but you learn mostly from when things don't yes. go. Yes, that's yeah. when you learn most. So your your career at Murdoch was sort of a couple of catastrophes, I guess you could <laughs> say. Your mum got really ill, and COVID hit. So that makes trans, you know, moving between Melbourne and Perth extremely problematic. So how did you go through that? That was 2020 was a pretty disastrous 2020 year. 2020 was um, a year of, of, of a blur uh, for everyone. But, um, but for me, um, the, uh, you know, the loss of my mother was um, something that I... Uh, you know, I won't, I won't get over, but at time, you know, each day goes by and I, 
um, my fear is, you know, I don't want to forget. And this is why mm. all the time. Uh, and she's she's very much, and my father, who who um, who I lost uh, many years ago, uh, he's 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 the you know the sane me thinking about you know always there on my <laughs> uh, helping me with my career moves. Um, and, uh, and and my mother is about enjoying life because that was her. Um, the food is all about her. So I keep her memory alive. But um, but losing her was tragic. But I was here. So the um, uh, the blessing for, for for me during COVID was that I was locked down in Melbourne, and I was able to work um, with my you know around my mum mm-hmm. being there present. And even the other night I was talking about the having meetings uh, on Zoom as we're working now. I was working full, full time as a senior leader for Murdoch. But based here in Melbourne, yeah, and 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 with the Zoom, and 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 my 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 dear mother would come come by and say, "What are you doing?" And she looked into <laughs> just love it, love it uh, for it. And, and it was, it was a okay. three-hour so time difference, and you're working. And on- there was a three-hour time difference. Yeah, yeah. So how did I cope with that? I just um, I did the long haul. I started Melbourne time. I finished Perth time, and mm. it, it was just uh, one day after the other. I had. Um, we, we went through a major change process uh, while I was here. Um, other staff were in their own homes, so it was not really that different. Uh, but having to speak to staff about um, their uh, potential for them losing their jobs mm. over Zoom was was um, really, really hard. And I remember one particular day I had about 12 or 13 back-to-back meetings of consulting individuals, and, and I thought, if, if this day doesn't kill me, it's going to kill me. You know, that's that's exactly how I felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that must have been very tough. So, over over the the time course of this career through research, clinical, academia, um, you've obviously had a number of mentors. Who have who have your mentors been, and and what role do they play in in your career progression? So I, I in in any organisation that I've worked in, um, uh, I've always tried to find a mentor or a role model um, with an aspiration to to follow their footsteps. So so I've had um, you know I talked about um, uh, the dean of health at, at Canberra. Uh, you know, just really loved her style. Uh, I've had um, leaders at uh, Alfred Hospital. Uh, I've I've had uh, leaders um, at 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 the other universities at La Trobe, um, but throughout my whole career, my go-to person um, in terms of the um, sounding out my career moves has been Karen O'Day. So uh, we've now, you know, she was my PhD supervisor for eight years, um, and then my postdoc supervisor for a number of years after that. And now she's a trusted colleague and friend. So every time I've made the next move we've had, or, or even when I've had problems within a, an organisation, uh, I've called her and we've, we've, we've had the glass of wine um, and, and talked through uh, what's going on. So really important um, to, to have, a uh, for me, um, a role model within the organisation, um, someone that you could shadow that you aspire to be uh, and you follow their footsteps or seek their advice, but someone outside the organisation mm. talk about um, how you are in that organisation and mm. trusted, of course. Um, and some people use coaches, uh, professional coaches, external coaches, and um, and to have that confidentiality is really important uh, and someone that um, has got um, nothing to lose or gain. Now, that's the other thing. Uh, internally, when you share a lot, um, you know, you've got to just be mindful how it's impacting the other person in the organisation. Um, so uh, so I've had, you know, in, in dietetics, uh, so many people, I've, 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 I've loved the work of Karen Inge and what she's done uh, in pioneering in sports dietetics, um, uh, Sue Ash in academia, um, uh, Lynn Daniels in research academia, you know, they, these have been very important um, role models for me and I've had the opportunity to, to work and, and meet with um, and, and, and collaborate to some extent with, with all of them. So, um, 
you know, so it's it's it, it, it's been it's been great, and it continues. So I, I always say this is not this is I'm not finished. Um, I should it, hope not. No, in my in my career, and you know, when I did the PhD, why did I do it? I wanted to be a professor of dietetics. That was my vision. And uh, when I got there, and I and I was promoted when I was at La Trobe, and I, I told Sam, you know, we're all very tearful, and you know, he goes, "You're done. That's it. <laughs> You're done now." And then I thought. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> I'm not done. Uh, that, that would have been about 2015, I think. Uh, I'm not done. <laughs> oh, God. There's, there's another chapter. Do you, do you have a new aspiration? You don't have to share it with us, but in your head, do you have, because you've kind of changed paths a bit and do you I, have, I have any? And well, I've, re- I've reached a fork many, many a times in the last 10 years and I've sought, in fact, um, and this is, again, you spoke about mentors, but the... Um, Keith Nugent, who was the Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research at La Trobe, I went to um, meet with him before I took on the head of school role at La Trobe in Allied Health. And I was at a fork because I could have gone into a, um, a, a Associate Pro-Vice-Chancellor in Research. So do I take my research hat, move that way, or do I move into academic leadership? And so he asked me some pertinent questions, you know, about, you know, my ambition and and do I want to change things? And do you know how do I like you know my, my sense of having control or power, if you like, um, positive power? And uh, and I said yes to those things. And he said, academic leadership, head of school, that's your path. You know the other roles are great, but they're you, you lead by influence. You don't lead by you don't have a budget. Um, yeah. So um, so that set a path for me, and that's why uh, you know then I, then the natural step to PVC at Murdoch, and then I thought my next move is vice chancellor. You know. <laughs> Vice Chancellor and then Vice Chancellor. So, um, so I left when I left Murdoch, uh, you know, because I would have been in lockdown. I couldn't see my family; mm. it wasn't working. Uh, I took a break, um, and uh, and and I thought, do I really want to be Vice Chancellor? Uh, look how difficult uh, academia is in this environment, COVID. Um, but I have a passion for um, for academia, for higher education, and uh, um, I'm going into another senior role. Not, not vice chancellor. I probably may not. I may not get there. I may not want to get there. But a role that I'm going to be able to be an academic leader, mentor, support others, but also get my research going. So yeah. really important to me is the research. And then after this role, I'm uh, moving into, uh, you know, the nutty professor of dietetics. Still- <laughs> Uh, still traveling to Greece to, uh, to 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 get ideas about about recipes and cookbooks. Um, still pottering in research um, into my seventies is what. I'm <laughs> Very good. Well, if you're following the Mediterranean diet, you should be home and host with that. Seventies <laughs> is easy. But actually, on that, and I'm just backtracking a little bit. We didn't really mention that you have traveled to Greece quite a lot over the years, haven't you? For research, for academic work, you've done some. Um, work at universities in Greece? I have, yeah, and just a, a, a couple of key um, key memories, and one was in the year 2000 when I presented my first findings from my um, PhD, and that was early days, um, at, uh, and it was on the Cretan diet because that was the diet I used in type 2 diabetes, and I presented at a conference in Crete, and it was amazing, and they, they gave me a little award, and uh, they were amazed, this you know, Greek girl from Australia. <laughs> across here presenting her work about the Cretan diet. Um, I then um, uh, formed a collaboration with the Kharokopio University in Athens and we ran the MEDIS study. So um, Antonia Thothis has uh, graduated from her PhD, which I supervised and Antigone did as well last uh, couple of years. And the MEDIS was looking at um, Greek migrants here in Australia uh, and their health characteristics versus um, Greeks in Greece and across uh, uh, the diaspora, you know, uh, and uh, so that was Metis. Um, and uh, and one of my other PhD students, uh, Mediterranean diet, um, uh, fatty fish and childhood asthma. So Ma- Maria Papa Michael from, um, uh, from Athens. So that was uh, um, a PhD. And the whole study was done in Athens. She's La Trobe enrolled and now she's a, an honorary with La Trobe, um, but completely ran the study, uh, a clinical trial. So, um, and I supervised her, uh, virtually from here. So have you done blocks of time, though, in Greece? Like oh, you... yes, yes. Uh, so I would go back and visit um, Maria uh, and our collaborators. But um, visits to Greece with family, uh, and with Sav and the girls, 
uh, at uh, annually almost. Um, so the last two years has been awful, not being able to visit. But um, so uh, we we would go to the islands, and I would uh, with my mobile phone photograph everything and getting ideas. So what what I've done, um, particularly in the second book, Mediterranean Cookbook, and uh, and the third book, uh, The Heart Health Guide is uh, featured uh, a number of the recipes from some of my um, <clears throat> favourite restaurants that I've been to um, in, in Greece. So, so basically I've recreated them from, from the photograph and then said, you know, I remember eating at this restaurant. So the ideas has been great, but also the feeling of being in the Mediterranean, of, of looking at the sunset, of, of being in, an, in a climate where summer lasts eight months. Sunny every single day, um, and uh, and the sun is di- you know they say the sun is different, people are different. I know there's a crisis. I know there's COVID, and you know we can't go for a while. But there has been an economic economic crisis in, in Greece. But people live for today. They don't worry about the future as much um, as 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 we do in other countries, particularly across here. Greek migrants worry a lot here, but. No, in Greece, particularly in the in the islands and the rural areas, they still have uh, this sense of living uh, life to its fullest. And I had the pleasure of going to Ikaria, the island of the long live long living. There's a, there's a paper that one of my collaborators wrote, the long livers. <laughs> and <I> said, <laughs> that that sounds funny in English, but uh, the long living. And I interviewed um, about a dozen old old. And the oldest woman, and this was now 2016, she was 107. Um, I believe she's still alive. And she was cognitively just amazing, singing, still active, walking around and making things. She used to, she used to knit and do and make things. Um, and, uh, and in my interviews, it was an anthropological study, which I'm still to write up. I would ask him, what's the secret to longevity? Um, and, you know, the typical dietary stuff, eat off the land, plant foods, our extra virgin olive oil, our own wine that we make, our own uh, honey that we make here, uh, goat, which um, goats roam free there. So it's a free-range goat, if you like. So lots of those uh, foods, the eggs, uh, uh, organic, locally grown, uh, free-range chickens, all of that. But um, uh, some of the uh, key things were um, uh, having purpose. That was the number one thing, that I'm not useless, I'm useful. So having purpose uh, across the board was their number one thing. Being socially active was in- included there, and some of the um, older men were quite cheeky because that's how uh, you know you've got to love your wife. You've got to love your wife, you know, and uh, <laughs> that took a lot of pleasure in their social activity in that in that way. But um, but elderly, whatever age, uh, out at night, late at night, walking. Um, physical activity was key. This is a very mountainous uh, island, and uh, and 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 these old old ninety plus were strong. They walked everywhere. They walked. Um, there's ha- not many roads in Ikaria. Um, so physical activity, social connectedness, being happy, uh, having purpose, and living off the land. Mm, that's very good. You've got everyone who's listening, wanting to go to Greece, and we can't. It's not fair. <laughs> at the moment, at the at moment. At the moment, yeah. 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 So yeah. if you look back uh, over this career that has nowhere near finished, um, but is there career advice you'd give your younger self? My younger self, um, don't worry so much because uh, it, it will, you just keep keep your eye on what you want to do, like keep keep your drive and you'll get there. Do not worry. Don't stress. As a young dietitian, a young academic, a young um, a person in the workforce, I worried a lot. I did. Um, and every small thing that happened, I would process it a lot. But, but in the long run, things work out mm. as you stay focused and, um, and, and you just um, uh, enjoy the moment. And that's really important. Uh, you've got everything to learn. I've had even... In my most recent times, very difficult, difficult times at work, um, particularly through COVID, it um, it caused disruption in all indus- in all sectors, higher ed in particular. Uh, even in those most devastating moments, there was still learning, there was still growth, but learning about self that I coped through that. I was resilient, and I still stayed true to. I stayed true to yourself as well. 
Many, many times you're forced to do this, do that, do this, do that, um, but it's got to be right for you. So for me, I've developed um, over time an ability to trust my gut feel. And it does come with maturity, but you have that when you're younger too, but you don't trust it. Yes. You don't yes. trust your gut. I think that's you a very good you point. Just, you, and, um, you know, I, I, I aim for the top. Vision yourself. Draw a picture of who mm. you want to be. Um, you know, when I started my PhD, it took me eight years. Was I, at the time, oh, my God, you know, are you ever going to finish? Well, I had to. I promised myself. Yes. And, you know, uh, that I would. Um, and I, you know, professor of dietetics got there. Um, hard work gets you mm. there. It doesn't happen overnight. And if you don't get there the first time, you just keep trying. So um, vision yourself in the future. And if we have young dietitians or early career dietitians or dietetic students listening, um, do you have advice for them? Because I think we still face, after all these years, that the preferred career option leaving dietetics is a clinical position but we know that there aren't enough clinical positions and not everyone wants to work in a clinical position so what's your advice to young dietitians looking at career paths and maybe wanting to go down a, a less traditional one or you know, an alternative well i think absolutely go for it and i've mentioned some pioneers um in in areas you know back in the day back in our day uh, where where the paths were um, clinical or, or community because there were more community opportunities, um, less so in some areas now. But um, people uh, stepped into industry roles, and uh, and it was not the done thing. But good on them, good on them, and and they've uh, they've opened the path. So how do we expand uh, the uh, our scope uh, of practice in dietetics? It's by the young, ambitious uh, entrepreneurs stepping into roles that that um, that we haven't stepped into before. So um, go for it because you're pioneering a new role for dietetics for the future. And and in my experience through the years it is if we don't fill those roles as dietitians, others will very very quickly fill those roles. Now at the moment there is a boom of um, of uh, support and training in in health and well-being um, and there are coaches and trainers out there that do not have dietetic qualifications that are doing some of this work now it is work that can be done because it's mostly online um, and it, sh it should be done by trained dietitians uh, at at graduation you're qualified to to work in a broad area um, and if you're going into an area uh, that is non-traditional, make sure you build your networks so that you can um, seek support when you need it uh, because you might be crossing boundaries that haven't been crossed before. You might be faced with, you know, um, conflicts. Uh, you need to find your networks and, uh, and, 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 and connecting with them when you've got questions. Um, so go for it uh, because you're the pioneers of the future. We need, um, you know, the, if we think public health, um, look at all the problems that still exist. Look at all the talent that we have, um, that, that we're training uh, um, regularly. Uh, we need to get us out there more. And it's, it's the young um, entrepreneurs that are, are more mobile and able to do that, able to travel, able to um, work in different modes um, and may not be committed uh, in in a in a uh, in a family environment, quite yet, uh, where they're relying on a on a particular income. So um, you know that volunteer. A lot of people say, "Oh, I, I volunteered." Um, I, I've got my daughter as an example, and she's in in media and arts. She volunteered with almost no income for close to two years, and is now um, uh, you know five years later uh, successfully. Um, you know, running a, a growing business in, 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 in the media world, but the hard yards uh, were necessary to build the networks so that people know you. Um, you uh, even in, at my age, I, I seek um, advice from, from, from uh, recruiters and consultants, and, and they say to me, the work won't find you. People aren't going to come and knock on your door mm. and find you. So it uh, doesn't matter at what age you are, what you've done in your career. You have to put yourself out there. You've got a network. You've got to have a voice. 
You've got to be on social media nowadays so much easier, so much easier. Uh, go to the networking opportunities, reach out to people, uh, and those that you feel are untouchable, uh, you will be surprised how helpful they will be. Pick up the phone, message them, and they will give you their time. They will. Because yes. where you are once upon a time. Yeah. And, and the worst thing that can happen is that you don't hear back from them. And you've lost nothing. You don't hear back. It's a big deal. You move yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you exactly. So, yeah, I think that's that's really refreshing advice. And I think you talked before about the positive self-talk. And I think that's just what people need to implement because we're all terrified of the next step. We're all terrified yes. of doing things yes. we haven't done before. And But as you say, when you look back at the things that you've achieved, you go, oh, that actually worked out surprisingly well, you know, yeah. and who would yeah. have thought? So yes. I think that's that's great advice. So, Catherine, I know we've um, gone over sort of 45 minutes, so I just want to, like, thank you so much for taking the time to um, talk on our Dietitian Connection podcast today. It's been a real joy for me to speak to you, and I think um, your legacy, amongst other things, will be the awareness of the Mediterranean diet because when you started your PhD, it really wasn't a thing, was it? But now the Mediterranean diet is talked about, you know, everywhere and it's fantastic. Mm. And I think you're also the embodiment of the Mediterranean diet because even in your days when you're most busy or you're trying to go between two states, you've always had time to catch up for dinner or lunches, you know, and a lot of people (laughs) say, no, no, I'm too busy, but you're not. You might be late, but you're always there. (laughs) So, Yes, that's a Greek in me, unfortunately. (laughs) So I think, yeah, you you do, you, um, you do what you talk about and you eat a Mediterranean diet, you keep up the social networks and I assume you exercise. I don't know that part. but um, <laughs> I walk the dogs. <laughs> yeah, walk the dogs. Well, there you go. Um, so I think your story has been really inspiring and you are inspiring and particularly for those dietitians who might be wading through a PhD and thinking this is never, ever going to end and I'm ever going to get there. <laughs> they can still do it. Um, And I think your testament to, to what that leads to. So thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Jane. I've really enjoyed it too. And thank you for all those wonderful things you've said. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. Thanks. Here at Dietitian Connection, we love Catherine's work on the Mediterranean diet and particularly her amazing recipe books coming from, as she mentioned in the podcast, the fact that we don't all have a Greek mother cooking for us at home. So we're really excited to give you the chance to win a copy of Catherine's most recent book, The Heart Health Guide. To win, just tell us in less than 25 words why you need a copy of The Heart Health Guide. Submit your responses on our Instagram post or within our Facebook group. The competition closes on the 19th of March, 2021. You can see all the links and details in our show notes. If you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcast app. Tell us what you thought about this episode, what you learned, share any suggestions of guests that you'd like to hear. We really value your feedback, so please, please hit that review button. Thank you again for listening to our Dietitian Connection podcast today.